Well, hello, RP people, and welcome to Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and I'm glad you can tune in again. Joining me as always, we got Mr. Finer and Scott W. Say hello, guys. Aren't you going to introduce the guest? We don't have a guest today. <laughs> <That's> stupid. <laughs> the, the guest is Optimus Prime. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're back <laughs> to our we're back to our roots. Just the three of us. <laughs> Who the fuck is this Autobot? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we could tell we didn't have a guest because you didn't screw up the intro. Yeah, I know. It was good. It was good. And if anybody's interested in the reference of my Optimus Prime impression, you can look up the the Root Awakening of Optimus Prime on YouTube. It's worth your time. (laughs) He addresses all the things that happened when Rodimus Prime was in charge. (laughs) So... um, I guess we've already started, but before we get started with the actual topic, I have some news for you all at home. Uh, if you are or know anyone who is in the process of creating an indie tabletop uh, game or already has released one, let me help you promote your work. Uh, if you send me a 60 second audio clip describing your game and also where to find it, uh, I'll try and put it into our episodes. I'll, I want to do maybe one or one to three every single week. Just to help you guys get some exposure and promote, you know, the indie scene. Because there's some really good ideas out there that sometimes just go missed. Um, So if you are interested, uh, let me know by emailing me at rpsmartpeople at gmail.com. And by the way, if you do end up on this episode or any other, I'll let you know ahead of time. Like I said, I'm only doing two two to three each episode. So... I may not be able to put yours in the moment that you send it to me. But either way, let me know. RPSmartPeople at gmail.com. Yeah. That was almost like a commercial, guys. It was like a commercial. I know. I feel so professional now. That's right. And, until I said that. I was going to say either that or a tool. Oh. Yeah. You know what? Actually, I think a tool suits me a little bit better right now. Yeah. I'm kind of like a tool. I'll, I'll agree with that. Damn. Yeah. Just taking jabs at myself right now. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. So on tonight, <laughs> for any of you listening at home right now, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm sore. I'm in pain. So I'm kind of on some painkillers. So I'm kind of you know I'm doing good. I'm a millennial who discovered manual labor. <laughs> yeah, I discovered manual labor. And my shoulder blade popped out, and I'm kind of feeling eh until I go to the Cairo. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I'll, this will, that'll explain yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I advise him to go find uh, someone on a street corner and get some Zannies, but he's going to go with actual medical advice. Yeah. So. Well, I'm going to go with medical ex- advice, and I got to go to my, uh, you know, my uh, holistic medicine giver. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully they have to pop it back into place. We did my daughter; she had to have her shoulder pop back into place. Yeah, it's, it's I, I've had it happen before. It's not fun. Oof, man. Yeah. Anyway, so on tonight's episode, uh, <laughs> we're going to be discussing uh, pre-written modules, how to prep for them, and even how to kind of twist them to your own personal style. Um, so how do you guys feel about pre-written manuals? Are you for them or do you prefer to create your own? <laughs> Why do you keep calling them manuals? <laughs> modules, modules. Pre-written modules. I love it. My example, you- 
my description from before should say why. <laughs> why is it? Manuel's so far staring at it. Uh, oh man. Anyway, finder. I uh, growing up never used them. I, I I even bought some back in the day. Like I have the Tower of Inverness. I have two or three of the uh, Dragonlance modules. I had Keep on the Borderlands. Uh, never used them. Um, now in my old age, I'm a fan of them. So I'm 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 pro modules uh, for for different reasons. But uh, yeah, so basically, I I think they're a good thing, especially for new GMs. I yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I can't believe you didn't play any of the old ones when you were coming up. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I I, uh, I am going back now and playing them with my kids, converting them to Savage Worlds, of course. But but yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've done that a couple of times already. That's cool. Yeah, what about you, Scott? How do you uh, feel? I love them. So I well, I played through a lot of them too when I was a kid because that's all we had. In fact, the first time I really played Dungeons & Dragons was we played uh, A1, which is uh, Slave Pits of the Undercity. And we didn't have any of the dice, so we used, uh, I think, four six-siders to just simulate a D20. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 4 to 24, it's all the same. I mean, whatever. It all adds up and it comes out in the wash. But yeah, I know. I, you know, I do like them because um, I think they can help if you're stuck or, you you know, they got some clever ideas. And then, uh, yeah, they really present some pretty neat options for folks and gives you an idea, especially if you can find one that suits your play style because not, not all of them are dungeon crawls. So... There is some some really well done old school modules and some new school ones too. Hmm. I can't say I've ever played one. I can't say I've ever run one. I've read them, but I was like, oh, that's neat. And then I'm just, I don't know. Part of me is just like, it almost feels like cheating. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like, and I know it's not. And I know that there's a lot of those um, uh, modules that are made that are really freaking good. And a lot of people play them. And if anyone ever was like, I'm going to run this, uh, I'm going to run this. Are, are you down? I would still say yes without any issues. But me personally doing it, I almost feel like it would be cheating. And I don't, I, I, I don't know why. Yeah, because, I mean, is it like... Uh... Since you're a recent convert to the game master side of the house, is it? I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to. I, I, I don't find her. I'm trying to pin down like why, where he would get that feeling of like he's he's cheating. Are you cheating yourself? Or are you cheating your players? A little bit of both, because like, I, I don't even think it's the players. I think I would be more cheating myself, because uh, like I'm a very imaginative person. I like creating all these kind of little worlds in my head i like doing all that kind of shit you know sometimes the voices talk back um <laughs> and and i feel like if i was to use one of those i would almost be cheating myself out of creating something that i would find fun and i, I don't think that makes sense no but it does. so yeah. for, for me it sounds like um are you one of those people that like stop following a band once they become popular because they quote-unquote sold out. <laughs> He's a hipster GM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And not at all. Because, uh, like, 
every once in a while I still listen to like uh was it that Silver Side Up album from Nickelback. Like I, I don't really care I don't really care if someone gets famous or popular or anything like that. It's just I feel like I should have done it myself. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it because yeah, it's like when you can pull off a cool adventure you put together and everyone enjoys it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible feeling. Yeah. See, I, yeah. I for me, it, you know, I, I understand to some degree. There, there, I mean, like I said, growing up, we never used published modules. Uh, we just did everything ourselves. For me, I started using published modules when life got too complicated. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't have time to do the prep that I want. And so I'm going to just grab this pre-written thing that outlines things. I can tweak it to fit my needs. Um, But a lot of times the pre-written stuff comes with your maps that you need. I don't have to create those anymore. Um, There's, I don't know that it saves me any time, but it saves me the hassle of having to come up with my idea and then gather all the materials for that idea uh, when I have a limited amount of time to do other stuff that I need to be doing as well. So life got complicated as I got older, and that's why I use the modules now. Uh, growing up, I probably felt much the same way that you did. Um, I was like, why pay for something that if I can come up with a story myself? But also back then, we did a lot of dungeon crawls rather than telling stories so yeah well that's the thing about the modules too is i found for me is even if i have a module like the maps like you said can be invaluable for doing other shit like i don't know how many times i've just used um oh my god it's a forgotten realm it's one of the fr adventures haunted halls of evening star um just a not well written uh, module. It's kind of module is not really a fair word, but it's, it's basically a module with some campaign loose campaign information. But the haunted halls of Evening Star map, I have that. I mean, I just I I have it as a separate thing. I don't know how many times I've used it in just a cool like f- you know dungeon fortress or ruins to explore and shit like that. Just um, I even did that with some of the four E stuff because it was. The maps were so damn detailed and like, oh, I need an idea of where they're going to be going. Oh, okay, cool. This is perfect. So I'm done. Now, you, you know, something that has struck me as we've been talking through this, all of the modules we've been referencing so far are D&D. <laughs> the system we bash the most. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, well, I, the original, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's where I, I find a lot of the stuff. Like I just ran my kids through Desert of Desolation uh, which was a lot of fun. It was a heavily modified version of Desert, Desert of Desolation because, one, I switched it over to Savage Worlds uh, to run the game, but I also wanted it to fit into my world and the story that I was working on. Um, so I, I had to swap out a bunch of the creatures. I had to swap out some of the storyline to make it to, to make these different encounters make sense. And so it was a heavily modified version, but I have found that the D&D modules... Now, I, I will admit, I've not read what the D&D modules today look like. Like a 5e module, I've never picked one up. I don't know what they look like. So my, oh, I my, think I got them all. They're actually... Are, see, and then that's cool. Uh, for me, the modules that I'm really starting to dig, though, are like 
Coriolis free league. It's, it's almost like a guide. It's like, here's the background. Here's the setup. Here's what happens in act one. Here's what has to happen for them to move to act two. And here's how act three wraps things up. And here's the aftermath. If they go down any of these paths and if they don't go down any of those paths and you got to make your own stuff up. Um, but it, it's very uh, free form to some extent. And I've watched or I've listened to two actual plays of the same adventure and both GMs approached it completely differently, which was really interesting to, to see how the GMs took the same source material and made it look and feel completely different. Well, yeah, they're kind of like plot point campaigns, exactly. right, is what it sounds like. I think we talked about that before. And so there's a question for you, Santa. Um, have you looked at the, any of the um, plot point campaigns in for Savage Worlds for some of the settings? Um, well, I don't think I've really looked at too many of the plot points. Like uh, I was looking at the one that's in the Ripper's uh, GM guide, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, th- you know, this is really cool. Like it's neat, uh, you know. Dracula kind of comes back shit like that kind of goes on and on but I don't know it's just something about having like this plot point where although I know I could change it to my and maybe it's just my own perception of them and where I'm just like I feel like I could come up with something I'm trying to think of the right word more my style you know yeah sure yeah something that because I, I know like we've talked about how I'm kind of slapstick and everything like that, but like even on the campaign that I'm current, I'm currently running like right now we have, I'm just doing the, the intro kind of story because all, all the play, all the people who are playing my game right now are brand spanking new. Only one has ever played an RPG before uh, the rest. None of them have ever done it. So I'm, like I have like this intro campaign I'm kind of going through, but I already have like my next campaign slightly planned up with enough holes in it. So I can really kind of tailor it to what they do and yada, 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 pretty much following your guys's advice for the past couple episodes. But yeah, I don't know. It's just something about them. And I'm sure I'm not alone on this. Like even finder, you just said that when you were younger, it was like that, but it's just, it's almost like that thing of ownership where it's like, yeah, this is my campaign. And maybe that's just a little bit of narcissism. Maybe that's hubris. Maybe that's anything of the sorts, but I just want it to almost be my idea. So I can. No, it's totally understandable. There's a lot of people who fucking hate modules. They hate pre-written material. Yeah. Uh, And they'll, 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 they'll steal from it. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who feel like you, they just don't want to, you know, they don't want to run it at all. Yeah, I, I'd plot- play one. I'd play one in a heartbeat. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I have run you. I have, I have actually run you through when we were testing uh, Bastard. Uh, <gasps> the thing, the thing we ran through, uh, it was uh, pre-written. But it was considered one of the better, one of the, well, I think, the best OSR intros uh, to be done. But the system wasn't OSR, so it was just irrelevant. But from, from, so when Final we're talking about it, because the plot points, you know, in, in Savage Worlds, and like Coriolis, is, it sounds like, is those beats there's no determinant normally of when chapter one and chapter two have to occur and how much time, right? Cause normally there's side adventures written around it. And that's kind of the point of something like that is that inspirational piece. Like, well, here's how we're going to start. And here's another point we need to get to at some point, but in between 
I'm going to design adventures and pull shit in and they're going to run around. And then at some point I can sprinkle these clues and shit here and there, and then it will lead them to eventually I can spring chapter two on them. Um, yeah. And that's why I was asking. Yeah. And I think doing something like that, I'd probably be more inclined. Um, the other part of me, especially with like, you know, doing the set like that. And I, I I've talked about it with you guys before where, not on the podcast, but how it kind of annoys me how there's not more shows that try and stay episodic. Like sitcoms themselves, like, okay, yeah, I know. At the end of every episode, it's always going to be brand spanking new. Everything is going to stay the same. But at the same time, my favorite X-Files episodes, my favorite Supernatural episodes uh, have always been the ones that are kind of a little bit more of one-offs where it's like, okay, they're on this thing. I don't really need to know about this overarching quest all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't really honestly care about having this because sometimes I find it gets in the way. That was like, even like, and I know I just mentioned two supernatural ones, but even like uh, CSI Las Vegas, it's like, oh my God, this person, they they have a gambling addiction and they, they, you know, now all of a sudden they got to do these things or else they'll tell the boss. And I'm just like, I don't give a shit, man. What about the crime? You know, the funny That's thing what is, I'm here though, for. what it sounds is like those in your media that you consume, you love modules because that's how I picture your pre-written modules. <laughs> They're the episodic stuff that interrupt the overarching storyline of the plot yeah so yeah yeah so you yeah. like models, I, you just don't like them in your story because you you want to have that you want to control right. that overarching plot <laughs> yeah artistic freedom and yeah. all that jazz no i yeah. totally get it i totally yeah. get it that's why i write i design games i don't really like playing other games is <laughs> 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 fine as you know it's fun so yeah i don't know how how would you guys actually how do you put your own personal spin on it? Cause I've already said I would never run one. I almost feel like it's cheating. How try and convince me into how I could make one my own. You guys use examples. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm seriously curious. Cause I'm like, maybe I do have a wrong on this, but I don't know. Well, before, before finder tells you, how he's stolen from Desert of Desolation. Well, first he uh, converts it to Savage Worlds too. Well, I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong on this. It's a personal opinion. It's taste. You know, <laughs> to be honest. But anyway, just so you don't have a, a weird conscience while we're we're lambasting your choices in life. Oh, it's okay. My I, I question my own choices all the time. No, so you're, okay. you're fine. So, <laughs> so Finder, do you want to do you want to extrapolate more? Um. On your, on your theory? You know, I think it, the way that I approach it is it depends on the characters and what I think they're going to have fun with. So Desert of Desolation has a lot of all the different stuff, right? You've got your heavy combat areas, you've got your traps and your puzzles that you got to solve. And so Desert of Desolation really covered a lot of ground in terms of things. And that's the other thing is I'm not good at coming up with puzzles and traps on my own. And so if I can find that in a module or if I can find that in some other supplement, I will steal those things because I suck at coming up with those things. But with Desert Desolation, I did, I did change a lot of it, one, to fit the world. Um, like, were there creatures in there that didn't make sense for the world that I was running? Yes. So I replaced them. Uh, were there cults and things like that that didn't fit with what I wanted? Yes. And so I had to change those to make sense within my own uh, campaign world. 
but then I also let the players run with it. Like uh, as an example, in the Desert of Desolation, there is a part of the pyramid that they're in where they can encounter this uh, dwarf character who has been carving passages throughout the pyramid for who knows how long with nothing but a spoon. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, that, that is one, one powerful spoon to be able to carve all these cat caves and passageways in a pyramid uh, that, that's all stone. So I, I, I had to make that make sense for me. And so it ended up being a magical spoon, which took on a life of its own because suddenly my son, who's playing this wizard, becomes completely obsessed with that spoon and wanting to find the rest of the magical cutlery that goes along with it. So it was, I mean, it was hilarious because they would encounter like earth elementals and they would go and attack it with the spoon. <laughs> you guys, you have better weapons than a freaking spoon. But yeah, but you never know what that thing does. Yeah. You could unlock a power. Exactly. That's what they kept well, doing. I mean, it was hilarious. It was awesome. <laughs> well, I would assume that it's able to take a spoonful of anything that it touches, like that it tries to grab, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, is that pretty much what the power was? No, it was just an indestructible spoon. I mean, uh, it, it didn't even really do much damage. They just like to carve at it. And so, I mean, but, you could get stone to chip away with it and you could like carve things yeah. if you spent enough time. But it's nothing that's going to help you in combat. Right. I mean, it sounds like it's like a spoon of like remove earth or yeah. a spoon of move earth or pass wall yeah. put on it kind of thing. Where was it in the Desert Desolation? I'm just curious. Was it like in the... the it was in the Big like Pyramid. The it was in the Big, big Pyramid. Tomb of Amun-Re, yeah, right? exactly. Yep. Okay. And, and so, I mean, it's like one of the... I have no business knowing that. <laughs> so it was hilarious. But it was awesome. Nice. And so after that, they're like, okay, uh, is there other stuff? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so then they're like on this quest to find the fork and find the spork and find the knife and... Um, they, they never did find all of the cutlery, but they've got clues to where some of it else, uh, is hidden. And, but like, I also knew my party that this is a group of people that did not grow up with one E where we were trained mm -hmm. in one E probably because of the number of dungeons that we crawled through that had dead end passages. So yep. we knew we've got to be searching for secret doors throughout this entire thing. And we've got to be searching for traps everywhere we go because that was just how we were trained based on the, the dungeons that were come, that came up. Yeah, My kids didn't have that. And so that fork became a mechanism for me to help them find secret doors, especially ones that were vital that they find in order to move the story forward. And so the fork, uh, if it got near a magic, like through near a, a hidden door or a, a secret passage, it, oh. it would buzz and they would have to then, nice. oh, I, I'm going to search this room for secret doors. And so it became a way for me to help them help move the story forward. Because in Savage Worlds, I never really gave them a whole lot of powerful weapons because you don't need a yeah, bunch sure. of magic stuff. So, um, yeah. But yeah. So, it, so what did the spark do? I don't know. I haven't come up with it yet. That's the one they haven't found. 
Which ones did they find? I'm, 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 I, you've mentioned this before, but I've never thought, okay, what are the powers to them? I'm super curious. What what, what are the powers to the silverware? And That's why because this that- is the kind of fucking adventure you want to go on. <laughs> uh, maybe in low life. I feel like it could be good in low life, too. So, so the, the, the only ones they found were the spoon and the fork. That they they wanted to really find the spork, but I'm like I don't know. And and when they finally uh, needed the the fork, I, I was looking at the adventure. I, I had no intention of letting them ever find any of the other ones, but I knew that they were on this quest. They really wanted to find this thing, and they made it to the oasis of the white palm. And there's some mm. there there's some really important things hidden behind secret doors and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, you know what? If I get them the fork and the fork's magic power is it can help them identify or find uh, secret doors and hidden passages, then, yeah. then I will put it there. And so I just put it in a desk where I knew they would search um, and they found the fork. And, and the day that happened, my son, my wizard son was like, dude, I want that. I will give uh, this character this <laughs> magic sword that I've been running around with so I can have that fork. <laughs> So, I mean, no, I, I like the fork is the the secret door finder because it's it's like a mad wizard's play on like a divining rod. That's you know? exactly that's exactly how I came up with it. I'm like a fork in the road. Yeah, it's fucking genius. So yeah, it was. Oh, but, but yeah, that was purely there because I knew my kids would not keep looking for secret doors. So did you keep did you keep the clay golem near the end of the tomb? Oh yeah, in the game. Yeah, yeah. So did they use the spoon of of, of you know, obvious yeah. earth excavation yeah. to damage the golem? <laughs> they did. Yes. I would have. Yeah, because I would have bored his asshole out <laughs> with that magic spoon. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was I, really I'm just saying, it's like, like it, it, it's smart what you did with the fork, but the moment that you said like the magic fork, I was thinking it's like. It's going to have like the power, so it's like whatever you stick it into, you could pick it up almost like you could like a piece of whatever from the fork. So it's like oh. this giant, this golem, you stick it with the fork, and all of a sudden you could just pick it up like nothing. Oh, uh, that's hilarious! I mean, that's good shit though. Yeah. No, and, and it's it's funny because like I know I said you can't like you put your own spin on an item that's a throwaway item in the game from a module and you kind of made it your own, yeah. which is, it, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe, well, and, and maybe I'll have to actually because You can, you can sit there and play around with the NPCs and, and I really do let the characters alter the story. So like there were NPCs that they absolutely loved, even though I wasn't playing that character the same way that the book says you're supposed to, because I'm like, this party's not going to deal with that type of character. So I'm going <laughs> to... The Paladin? Yeah, well, yeah. No, wait, that was... Sorry, not the Paladin. That was in uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. My bad. <laughs> well, the, the, there bad. was a Paladin because I, because I was um, using this more as a campaign arc, I threw in other mm-hmm. modules within Desert of Desolation. So like, oh. there was a point where they were um, out traipsing across the desert and came across some ruins and I ran them through. Uh, what's the one where you get Meepo? Um, oh, uh, the Sun. Oh, Citadel, uh, from Third Edition. Yeah, Citadel of the Sun or uh, Citadel, Sunless Citadel. Yeah. yeah, Sunless Citadel. There you go. Um, so yeah, I mean they they 
went through that adventure within uh, Desert of Desolation because I wanted another adventure for them to, to go and just do some stuff and, and get some more information. And so I could hide different things um, within that. And the fun thing was for my campaign world, the big evil was, yeah, you have the big gin that's, that's the causing all kinds of havoc in the desert desolation. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't my big evil. My big evil. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) I figure it's a one E adventure. I don't have to do spoiler alerts anymore. (laughs) I know. It's like, you guys know what happened at the end of Jaws? (laughs) (laughs) But my big bad, my big bad was like the, uh, a completely different race. And they, they were aware of the prophecy of what was going to happen. And, they were actually wanting that gin to run ramp, uh, run amok across the, the desert. And, oh, and so I actually had encounters where my big bads were trying to kidnap the different characters who had parts of this, had collected some of the star gems. And so that was like one of the best scenes as well is just because like one of them comes down and grabs my, my daughter's character and starts flying away with her. And everybody else is sitting there dropping everything they're doing to knock that guy out of the air before she, before he gets too high. So, um, so Hannah's character doesn't like get damaged or anything. And it was just a lot of fun because anytime they came across those uh, creatures again, they had to wonder if they were going to be, um, if one of them is going to be attempted to be taken captive, uh, my son is so bad with names, but it's, it's hilarious. He came up with, uh, like, I, I can't remember the name that I actually gave, but it completely morphed into, um, oh, what was it that he always called him? Uh, Gazorpa Zorp. <laughs> that was like the big evil general that they kept trying to find because Gazorpa Zorp kept sending his minions after them. And so not only did they want the uh, the cutlery, they kept wanting to fight Gazorpa Zorp directly. And so at the end, uh, where there's a, a, one of the big fight scenes, I, of course, had to introduce Gazorpa Zorp so they could have a, a face off with him. So. There you go. But a lot of that was just come up because of the way the characters or my, my players were playing the game. It's like, okay, we're going to inject this into the module now. And and it really became something that was theirs because so much of the mythology that they built themselves became actual canon within the game. So it was just fun. So, Scott, how do you make one your own? Uh, for the modules, so I'll use them as a lot of them. I, I like the low level modules because there's always some there's some really good jump off points. Um, but you can intersperse some of the more moderate level ones in there. I don't really do any high level adventuring in any game system; it's just boring. Um, so that's normally what I'll do is I'll I'll come over for ideas. Um, what I did start doing there for a while was to help out other genres if I wasn't sure or um. I just needed something to do. I would take a look at a module and think about, so like, oh shit, uh, I-9, Dwellers of the Forbidden City. Um, really cool modules. It's got a lot to a lot of exploration, but I took it. So basically you're going through this jungle and 
you know, waterfalls and crocodiles and this lost city of the uh, Yonti and um, other monsters, bullywugs, Tazloy and shit are kind of in this lost city. And you're, you're dealing with this, this Yonti threat. But what I did was I was like, okay, cool. But you, a module, a, a dungeon doesn't have to be a dungeon. And this a wilderness doesn't have to be a wilderness. And so I got asked to run a, a science fiction game, a spice game. So I took the Dwellers of the Forbidden City and I extrapolated that into, okay, well, these encounter points are different planets, right? Or different waypoints in space, like space stations. So here's your getting to, and then there's going to be a clue to get to the next point that'll point you to where this lost civilization is, you know, which ends up being this lost civilization of serpent people. And that's kind of how I use Dwellers of the Forbidden City in a non-fantasy setting. And then the same thing with dungeons. Um, what's a really... I'm trying to think of what dungeon it was. I really can't remember. Um, man, I'm getting old. There was a dungeon that's not too badly done. I want to say it was a Pathfinder module. And I pulled the dungeon and I turned all of that inside out and turned it into a uh, like a hex crawl. And from point A to point B, and so instead of going into the dungeon, you would encounter all the stuff that was happening along the way. And so trap pit traps became well, pit traps out in the wild or log traps and shit like that. And then you would go from, you know, some rooms would become representative towns or villages and kind of move from there. And um, it just gives a complete feel to it. And anyone who ever played it would, would have no idea what's happening because now they're no longer going through the dungeon and trying to solve some of the puzzles they might be familiar with. But yeah, that's normally what I do with them. If not, I'll just, you know, if not, I'll just steal their maps outright. Well, and, you know, and some of them I played straight through. Well, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. Sorry. I was just saying some I will play straight through as written. Like Scenic Dunsmith and um, uh, Death Frost Doom. Like Death Frost Doom, I nerded the fuck out. And when I ran my team through it in 5th edition, I made like index card props and just put sh- – they were lined up on these the, – the, basically the cards, I laid them out sort of in the shape of the dungeon. And I put like the satanic symbols and shit on the, on the card. and But the cards also had something written on them. But it's not identifiable, so it's like, uh, you know, the, the black cistern of pedagogy, right? It doesn't mean anything to you, but you're like, oh, fuck, I want to go see what that is. And then we would do that, and we would turn it over and go through that, and they would have more, like, other information or art on the cards as they were going through this 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 hellscape dungeon uh, that was sort of like one half evil dead, one half, you know, a zombie apocalypse at the end of it. But, but yeah, so, sorry, there's, but there's just some that, yeah, I will, I'll play straight through because they're that good. And you, you touched on something though that I was good, that I wanted to bring up as well, and so I'm glad you did. And that is, I, I do look at a lot of modules not to play in the system. Like I've bought a bunch of things for the Laundry Files, which is a system I've never. Or it's a it's a system and setting I've never played, um, but it's got this the kind of uh, mod or adventure seed that I want for a specific type of game. Um, and so I do like taking modules that are for one thing and twisting it like, uh, the, oh, what's the traveler campaign? The pirates of, yeah, I can't, I can't think. Of it. Oh man. Uh, at this too. Ah, crap. I know. Starts with a D I want to say. Anyway, you could take that entire campaign and put it as a pirate themed camp a, a pirate campaign literally like not not space pirates oh. but like real pirates 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and and to Scott's point, at that point, space does not become space. Space becomes um, the ocean, and the different planets become ports around the world that you have to travel to. And uh, but but the overarching idea of of that game um, can can be interpreted all sorts of ways. It doesn't have it, it, it wouldn't even have to be pirates. I mean, you could do that with uh, with anything um, that you want to. Do. It could be a straight up uh, fantasy adventure if you want yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah, because replace pirates with bandits, right, or cultists, or anything weird yeah. that would be plying the the roads for loot and gain and shit. And yeah, there you've got it. That's the thing is like, and I, you know, I, I talked about this a long time ago on on a YouTube channel, and that was like one of the most poorly received concepts that I've ever presented was just like take these fucking modules and stop stop thinking that you know like. I don't know. I don't know. It's a classic, stupid mega dungeon. That mega dungeon doesn't need to be a mega dungeon on the earth. It, now you've got a. If you take like ruins of Undermountain, all those rooms and all those levels, you have so much to work with. You know, invert it so the higher, the lower levels become higher up mountainscapes and shit. I and mean, there's a lot to do with that. And yeah, it's it's effort. But you know, I'm not the one bitching about having a mega dungeon. So. <laughs> I'm just trying to show you how to think outside the box. That's it. Huh. Yeah. So from kind of what I'm gathering is you use some, like you do sometimes use some as the adventure itself. If you think it's a great adventure, but a lot of times it's more just like idea fodder. Yeah, absolutely. Cause some really cool ideas that are floating around out there. Um, and it's just like, okay, cool. Sorry. Let's, this is a good, you know, like this is a good initial entry. Um, I, N4 Treasure Hunt is probably one of my favorite modules of all time. It's so much fun. It needs a little work, and but I will use that on a continual basis. I've used it for Dungeon Crawl Classics, and if I run you guys through it, don't go read it because I'll probably use it to get you guys started on your funnel. Um, I've used it in fuck Savage Worlds. I've used it in D and D. everything because it's such a good start for beginning characters if you do it right. You know, and yeah, sometimes you got to do work, which may be antithetical to the idea of using a pre-wet module now that I've said it out loud. But <laughs> well, it depends you know, on why you're using it. I mean, like some yeah. people are using it because they don't have a lot of time to write their own. If you're a new GM, it's a way to have some structure that teaches you how to run an adventure, because that, that is one thing that they're good for is yeah, a yeah. new GM who's never done this. And they're wanting to get their group of friends who've never done it before here's an outline of how to run an adventure and yeah i will say go ahead oh sorry so if you're a new gm definitely look up like the best best D &D modules ever designed or written and that won't that won't steer you wrong if you want to look at because you can't just use any module well you can but not every module written is is good a lot of them are just hot garbage but like lost minds of fandelver i actually want to run someone through that because I think it is that well written uh, of a of a mini campaign. It is fucking well done. And if you add the I Spire Peak thing on on top of that, you've got a really good adventure, and it's so well done. Um, and then there's just there's a few modules out there that are like, oh, okay, here's how you actually like you said, here's how you actually can uh, can have a competent adventure that's well paced and well written and well designed. Yeah. Huh. You know who else has good ideas? <laughs> These indie RPGs that I'm going to be playing right now. 
<laughs> Hags Against Heroes, or HA, is a hack of laser and feelings, where you and friends take the role of a group of hags, causing magical mayhem and creating obscure obstacles for a band of heroes to face as they desperately try to adventure. Quick, fast, and frantic fun that's easy to pick up, you'll be cackling with glee at this free-to-download mini TTRPG. Found on itch.io, created by me, Dognut Boy. You can find more information in the description or go to itch.io, type in Dognut Boy or type in h.a.h. And you can follow me on Twitter at StuartH underscore VA. And that's Stuart with an U-A-R-T. <laughs> uh, thanks. Hi, I'm Bill Volk, and I'd like to talk to you about Furb House. It's a free, better-than-official Furby tabletop RPG. You are a Furb, a transcendent being who has come down from Leila, home, a realm of clouds and light, to do important business in the realm of Earth. Work together as a house to complete strange tasks assigned by clouds, navigate problems in the house, explore this strange new realm, and pursue your beautiful dream. Enjoy fast, length-based resolution mechanics. Learn words of power in the Furbish language with an included glossary. You can find Furb House and my other game projects on billvolkgames.itch.io. Presently, they're all free or pay what you want. That's billvolkgames.itch.io. Farewell. Or as they say in Furbish, bye-bye. Kawena toto kaee unai koko. Sorry, I knew, I had to. I was just like, oh my god, this is a perfect segue into it. I was just waiting for you guys to like calm down, for, like you know, finish your train of thought. I was like, yeah, this is the moment. This is the fucking moment. I got it. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, we planned it that way. Totally, totally planned, <laughs> but not that I wrote the script five minutes uh, before you guys entered the room. Because we're all reading from a script right now. No, yeah. literally, my <laughs> script is the is the intro. And I wrote my email on it. There you it. go. Now, the other thing, I'm going to bring us back on topic, if you can believe that. Um, the, other, the other thing that we can do, though, or that people can do, and this is what I'm doing with Coriolis, because I, I don't know how long the game is going to last. Uh, Mutant Year Zero is a very brutal engine. Uh, it's like uh, my brother-in-law, who's playing it as well, said, you know what? There is... If there were more failures, you'd get discouraged and not want to play the game anymore. If there were more successes, it would be too easy. And so it's like it, it does a really good job of treading that line of being almost too hard, um, but not quite. Uh, nice. And so I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't know how long they're going to be interested in this game. And so I've looked at a bunch of the different modules that they have for this. There are some that are like um, 100 and some pages and some that are like 15. And I just read through a bunch of like, you know what? I can string together a really cool story by running these adventures in this order because they almost lead from one to the other with just a little bit of work. And having gone through the character, like the backstory cards with these characters, I have enough of their own personal backstory and the things that are driving those characters to get them onto those adventure paths as well, which is a lot of fun. Like I told my wife, uh, she asked, well, what are you going to do after this one? Cause I was this last 
game with them. I just wrapped it up, wrapped up one of those adventures. He's like, what's next? I'm like, I don't know. They could go one of two ways. I'm going to throw them two different options and either option is going to lead down an adventure path and we'll see which one they go after. But they're in complete control of that. And it was, it was funny to see them argue and debate over which one they wanted to go down because one is for revenge and one is for exploration and money. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I really want revenge, <laughs> but let's go for the money. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, it, was, it was funny. I had a good time with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and now, and now my, uh, my other son wants to get involved. So we'll see how that uh, changes things around. So it'll be fun. So Stan, is he younger or older? He, he's the youngest. Now, when I say youngest, he's 20 or will be 20 this year. But uh, okay. but yeah, he's the youngest of of my four kids, and and the three older ones are already playing. So nice, nice. He's the only one that's never really taken an interest in role playing games. The other ones, I I then trained since they were like eight or nine. Uh, they were playing. <laughs> this, is why, <laughs> this is the only reason why I regret not having kids is because I will never have a built in table. <laughs> that's not a guarantee. <laughs> My daughter thinks this shit is the weirdest, nerdiest shit ever. <laughs> she's not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> no, she's not wrong. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, long pause. So, yeah, right? Does that mean we're at the yeah. end of this episode? <laughs> <laughs> the big, well, long I was pause. Just, I, I, yeah, I was just thinking if there's anything really to talk What more... What? Because, like, like I said, I'm I've never really done modules. Yeah. See, I said it right this time. So, um, <laughs> I, I I don't know really where to start with them, where to finish with them. You guys are kind of the experts when it comes to this show. Okay, like my one campaign, the my one campaign right now. I'm just doing like an intro campaign that I thought would take an hour, and we're currently on like hour three, and we had to call it a night. Nice. Well, it's a lot of fun though. It's it's been a lot of fun, and um. My group, um, we were planning to play once a month. And everyone was like, yeah, I can do once a month. I can do once a month. And <laughs> our, and already they're like, so when can we do this next? I know we said once a month, but do you guys, do you, would you guys be okay to do it like every second week? Or And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. I'm, I'm, I, I think I did a good job. I think I did good. <laughs> well, if they, um, if they want to come back and, and play some more and they want to do it more frequently, then – then you did a good job. I mean, every day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Fun, so. You guys want to hear uh, the a little bit of a plot point that I have right now? Let's do this. All right. Um, so I can't give away too much because it's still going on. And one of the guys uh, listens to our podcast. And he afterwards, while we we're chatting, since, uh, you know, we we're just having a couple of drinks afterwards. And he, he, he gave us a very complimentary uh, critique on our podcast which i i was kind of like you know i was very happy about but i'll get to that so we started off where i wanted them to because none of them have really played rpgs and uh, none of them done anything like that so first character creation was savage worlds they all looked at it and said oh my god what have i gotten myself into <laughs> uh, they were super worried once they got going, it was fine. But even uh, I was talking with the wifey after because one of her best friends in our in the game, 
And she's she was saying like before the game started going, she's like, oh, I'm so worried. I don't know if I'll like this. I don't know. I thought it would be super easy. We'd already be playing. And then they started playing and they absolutely, from what I can gather, loved it. Like they were nice. all just, you could tell from their face, they're all excited, energetic. And how I started off the campaign is I wanted, I wanted to put them in somewhere a little bit more isolated so they can just learn the mechanics. So they're doing the first test to get into the f- the final exam for the Rippers uh, to be- join the Rippers. And so they were blindfolded and kind of like in a carriage being driven to their location. They were dropped off um, and then the carriage drifts away. And so they all take off their kind of their their bags and they're standing in front of a mansion. All their gears kind of laid out in front of them already. And then I, I got mina harker since it is in london to kind of come out and she was saying pretty much like hey this is your mission there's something in this house you need to remove um it's sun's going down i recommend you start figuring out things quickly and of course one of the one of the people like you know they did like a knowledge check figured out who she was and some of them were like oh shit she's she's like huge up there and one other guy who has big mouth and he's just like why don't you tell us more what's in there and she's like i'm not saying anything and he's like can i rule intimidation i was like you can try <laughs> you can try and he rolled he's like hi oh, i got a, I got a six and so i was like okay well, i'll just take a look and i rolled and it's like yeah she got a 10 she looked at you and said you know i pretty much just said she's like you'll figure it out and then she just annoyingly left and I'm expecting because this guy's not. I'm already planning this for when they finish. She'll be there at the end when the sun rises and she'll just go, like, Oh, I'm glad to see everyone's okay. And then she'll look directly at their character and say, Well, almost everyone. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I got them in the house and it's still sun up. So nothing's ha- started happening yet. And they started exploring the house. And like one of them went over here, one of them went over there. One went into uh, into the study by themselves. The others kind of went into the living room and they saw like a painting. They found like the genealogy of the household, like the people in there found out that, you know, the main character, Elizabeth, her husband died uh, a long time ago. She, I've left hints that she kind of got into the occult by putting like books and, you know, some books in the study, uh, her dwindling finances and like one one the guy in the study was looking through the finances and he comes upon a book uh that uh in latin i forget the latin translation was resurrection from the other oh uh, i named it uh it was in latin uh he took the latin trait so i told him what it was and he's like oh what's that and like the moment that he kind of read those lines and reading the declining all of a sudden a book goes swinging by his head <laughs> uh, and i was just like okay so i'll roll and i ended up getting two raises on it so it was a d6 extra damage and i was just like i rolled and i this thing was like after all wounds and everything like that <laughs> this thing would have legit the book coming at him killed him in one shot and i was like oh fuck am i going to kill a player on the first attack yes and, he, was, and then i was like uh and he's like oh um he said, "You can. What can you use Benny's for? It's like you can do soak root wound." He's like, "Oh, that." He got like, he ended up getting like a, tw- a thirteen on his soak wound. So I was like, "Oh, sweet." So that's already like 
that's that's three raises. So it went from pretty much killing him almost to just him being shaken. But because once you get like no all wounds are clear, the shaken's gone too. So it just it literally embedded itself into the wall. And one of the guys came in who was like almost like a Desmond Belmont kind of character from Castlevania. Um, and he's like, what's happening? And I was like, okay, well, we'll do a notice check to see it. And he's like, okay, well, you see someone kind of like, you see a shadow, you don't know what, kind of creeping through the roof at this moment. So he's like, ah, oh, fuck you. And he's like, I, he starts running, and one of the players is like, stop, don't split the group. And he's like, no, I I need to go kill something. And he runs up the stairs, and he gets to the top of the stairs, and he goes to open the door in front, and it's locked. He's like, ah. Oh. And he, he's, like, is, he's like, I kind of want to smash it, but is there any other open doors? And it's like, well, there's, you, there's two doors to your left, and there's a couple doors to your right. And he goes to open one of them and he opens the one to the powder room, which I already kind of had this idea for this, uh, not to give any, I can't say what it was. Uh, be, be careful. <laughs> yeah. But he goes in there and like the moment he walks in, he's like, he, I say, you don't even hear the door close, but all of a sudden this room looks brand new and you see a man walking to the side and you see a woman sitting on a chair and they go, and he's like, and the first thing he's do is like, okay, I yell at them. Uh, are you guys the owners of the house? Is there a spirit in here? And I was like, they just ignore you and go. And then the moment that um, they do that, he does that. He's like, well, is there anything weird off them? I was like, real, real notice. I was like, okay, you notice that they're a little foggy. Like the, the guy who's standing in, like, you know, behind the woman, like you hear giggling, but you notice his face is very undefined and everything just something just seems slightly off. He's like, okay, well I go to reach. And so then he goes to reach and the shadow itself goes to touch him, which would cause. Um, I might have to edit that part out because they're not. (laughs) But it, It misses him. And then the spirit of the woman turns around. And I said, even's like she all of a sudden the room fades back to normal and you see and at that point that's when they realize that they're fighting a ghost ghost tries to attack him and it misses and there's another person at the other side of the door who's trying to figure out where uh that guy's character is and so the door was locked and wasn't opening and she's trying to open it all of a sudden it opened and the ghost ran through her and it it causes like uh their one in touch attack it does spirit and damage and of course on that attack on that touch attack, I had to have, I, I, I had to have exploding dice. <laughs> so then I had, and then the touch attack for the ghost is actually, you roll their spirit dice. And because I had a raise, I also added a D six and the damage to, from the spirit dice is a 12. Oh. Is a D 12. Yeah. And so I rolled and the six was fine. And it was only like a one, so nothing crazy. And then I looked at the D12, and it was a fucking 12. And I'm like, God fucking damn it. So it's like already 13, and then I rolled again. Unfortunately, that dice again was was also a one, so it only got to a 14. I'm like, okay, well, what's your thing? And she's like, oh, it's a seven. Oh, it's a seven. I'm like, okay, that's not too bad. So then um, essentially the ghost rammed through her. It smashed her up against the uh, against the door on the other side, and it broke through. And 
she ended up uh, with doing a soak roll. She still had one wound. All the other characters are like running around, figuring like, what the fuck's happening? And she's laying there and she's like, can somebody fucking help me? <laughs> and, and so they end up, they end up going and they're like, oh, well, what's happening with like the study? And it's like, well, there's another door right here. Let's try and go in. And it's locked. So one of the other new players, she's like, well, I'm going to, f- how do, how can we get in? I was like, how do you, and I just said, I was like, well, either find a key or find some other way. And she's like, what if I shoot it? I'm like, yeah, you can do that. So she's like, I pull out my rifle and she's like, and then I shoot the lock and I'm like, all right, you shoot the lock, but I need everyone in the room to do a vigor save. They're like, why? I'm like, just do it. And so, and then I said the person shooting at a minus two and she's like, Oh, why? I was like, just do it. Um, and then she's the only one who failed and everyone else saved it. I was like, you're, currently deaf for a short period of time because you just shot a high caliber rifle in a small contained room (laughs) (laughs) the other guys saw it coming so they put their at least their hands in their ears and then they get in there and then they figure out like a few other of these things and as they were found um some jewelry i can't say the significance of the jewelry because i don't know if they know it yet they might they probably have some strong inclinations um (laughs) all of a sudden like they get it's weird because they almost go into like a kind of like a bird's eye view but not a bird's eye view as they're kind of fed through this illusion of the house is i think it's the best way i can describe it because everything looks brand new but they're almost like not in their own bodies as they see all these cultists in the living room with Elizabeth all of a sudden going upstairs to this one room, which they were about to go into. Well, one of the members was about to go into, but due to the fact that um, what was happening in the room, they stopped right before, which I thought it was just kind of funny. That would do <sighs> that. And all of a sudden everything becomes real again, but the ghosts are all in front with the cultists surrounding them in the study. Ooh. Um, and so they're fighting and they're arguing. It's like, oh my God, I can't do anything. I have, I don't have a cold iron weapons and that's what works against ghosts. And so they're like panicking and they're like trying to figure out all this shit. And I'm just sitting there laughing for reasons that I'm going to tell you guys right now, but I'm editing this out of the show. Sure. They were, except for Elizabeth, one of the things with ghosts is they can cause illusions that mimic how they died. So sure, all the yeah. that they were fighting, they were illusions. So they could have hit it with absolutely anything and it would have automatically destroyed each one, one by one. But because they're so focused on all these things are ghosts. Yeah, sure. They didn't think that they can hurt it. Nice. And I, I was just sitting there and it's, it was hilarious because they kept on mentioning how I don't, these things are like, they're like mirages or illusions or something. And like one person said that and I'm like, Oh, maybe they're catching on. But <laughs> we don't have any weapons that are cold iron. I'm like, God damn it. God damn it again. And then another person's like, hmm, what can we do about these mirages? Like, I don't have any cold iron. I'm like, it's not a ghost, so it wouldn't take cold iron. <laughs> I've even explained what cold iron does, what silver silver does, and you know, like beforehand while they're while we're creating the characters and I'm just, I'm cracking up laughing inside and I just want to say something, but I can't. Yeah. Um, it, it was honestly, they all seemed like they're having a lot of fun. And I, 
at this moment. Now all the listeners are queued in. <laughs> and I am surprised how much fun I actually had running a game. I I, I actually had a blast. I enjoyed go. every moment of it. No, it sounds like they're really into the story, so that's good. I yeah. mean, the level of freak out over the just the one scene alone is very telling. So that's good. Yep. Yeah, and and they they were freaking out about quite a few things, and I tried to. I tried to make it a lot more thematic. Uh, we did have one thing with the dice, with, with you know the initiative, and of course, very first draw, we get a get a Joker. Yeah, nice. And I was just like, oh, I was like, you can use that whenever. He's like, I want to go first. I was like, if you want to hold off to see what everyone does, he's like, no, I want to go first. And I was like, okay, what do you do? Like, yeah, you do. <laughs> well, I I have I put the magic because he's like one of the priest type characters. Mm-hmm. It's like I put like the spell in my thing, and then I'm going to try and intimidate them. And it's the same guy who tried to intimidate Mina Harker, and I'm like just thinking, I was like, "All right, so you're um, you're trying to intimidate what you think is ghosts? All right, huh. and there's always a chance, right? You see weird shit on the oh, ghost yeah, yeah, stories, yeah, totally. And I was I looked at, it, I was like, he does have a chance. It is only D six, and he rolls. Um, like a three and a one. Oh wow! Yeah. And I even gave him, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you still get the plus two though, because, uh, because you know you had a Joker, and he's like, okay, well, what do they get? I was like, well, they just get they just get a simple d six. He's like, okay, so most likely I'll get it. Yeah, rolled, rolled a six. <laughs> <laughs> I was felt so bad for him because it's like he just I felt so bad because he's just so seems so amped up on it and I didn't, I wasn't going to fudge any dice I wasn't going to do anything like that and I just kind of felt bad because he's like I'm going to intimidate the shit out of him it's like yeah you do that sir you do that sir then, <laughs> yeah for real no yeah. that's good so I had a question uh, shit I had a couple of questions yep. about what's going on so uh, any issues with? Uh, well, no. F- first off, let's start with this. You said you drew a Joker the first, the first, uh, first round, yeah. the first initiative. Like, what? What did you do when the Joker came out? What did you learn from from Finder and I about when a Joker's drawn about in Savage Worlds? What did I learn from you guys? Yeah. What did we tell you should always happen when a Joker comes out on the table? Because how Savage Worlds is functions around the Joker. Well, you can essentially go whatever they want. Oh come on, man! Not like not mechanics. We gotta celebrate it. That's a oh, big yeah, deal. No. I, I did. I, I, the first thing I said was because, like, I got a Joker. I think I got it wrong. I was like, oh, shit. No, man, that is. And I, I said all the effects. And when I said that, he's like, oh, so this is a really good thing. I was like, yeah. Really? Yeah, you got to be like, when Joker comes out, you should be like, oh, shit, son. And then, you know. And throw oh, my God. No, I, I did that. I did that. I did that. Did you throw bennies? What's Right. Yeah. Did you do the bennies? Uh, I did do. No, I only, yes. gave, I only gave a Benny to him. Awesome. You son of a bitch. You to be fair, though, only two bennies were used in the entire thing. And I mean, said, do you want to use your bennies? And they're like, no, we're good. No, you got to flow the bennies yeah. because you don't want them to. A lot of people hold the bennies because they don't they don't understand they're going to get them for doing crazy shit. Yeah. And that's why you want it. You can't over. I, I personally believe in Savage World. You can't overwhelm people with bennies. Give them as many as they fucking can hold. I don't really care. They're, they're, you know, that's the reason for them. Yeah. yeah. That, that, I think that's one thing I got to do is kind of remember to toss out bennies. It's a tough uh, one for a lot of people. But afterwards, after we're done, me and my buddy were having a drink. Uh, and we're just kind of shooting the shit. And he was talking about, you know, he, he said it was like, you know, I was really nervous, worried about like role playing, if I'm doing anything right or wrong. But like, 
then I kind of remembered what you know you and your you and the you and the guys say on your podcast. I was like, oh, what's that? He's like, just play your character, play your character, <laughs> and, and do what you think your character would do. And as long as you're doing that, you'll have a good time. And that's what I did. And I had a blast. I was like, Shit, awesome. man, we actually taught, we actually helped someone. That's I awesome. did not think I'd hear the day where somebody said that we helped them. There you no. go. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I, I figured we'd help a couple of people, but to be honest, to have it like hit that close to home, I was just like, "Wow, wow, we're actually no, we're, we're doing something good here." Maybe no, sort of, no, something. that's awesome. How are they taking this Savage Worlds? Because you said that for almost all of them, this is their first role playing game, really, right? So once the game got going, they really liked it, but you could tell they were extremely nervous going into it because they're creating sure. characters, and a lot of them. They know of D&D where it's like, I pick a ranger. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of ingrained. And for them to see all those options, they're like, it's just a ton of options. And yeah. it's overwhelming. And I was like, and I said to him, I was like, trust me, once you learn how to make a character, everything else is going to be really easy. And once you know how to do this, it, it's it's going to be extreme. It, you're, you're not going to have any issues. It's just the first time it's very easy to get overwhelmed. Well, yeah. And something like, you can do to help with that though, in the future is you can ask them, what type of character are you wanting to play? What, what, how do you envision yep. this person being? And you can guide them to specific edges that yep. would, that would help them that way. They don't feel as overwhelmed because they don't, they don't know what all the edges are and they don't know what all the edges do. So they feel the need to read right. all the edges um, yeah, and and so that that's one way to shortcut that problem. Yeah, and so in two, I, I don't think you did anything wrong. It's just the you know this is the one we talked about, right? Run exactly. a game, and then we can talk about how to how to do things. I would have probably made them. I would have used the pre-generated rippers characters, which are I think seasoned. Yeah. Let them play the game and let them do the adventure. But you can grind out that adventure to where those characters are going to meet their end. And then you fast forward a couple hundred years to let them make their own characters. And now those those dead characters are lost members of the lodge. And now they're going to – that's part of the thing, right? Is they're going to start encountering yeah. the shit those characters got up to. A little bit long form, but I mean the, the pre-gen characters – that's how I got everyone in the Savage Worlds too is we had them run through. And once they start rolling the dice and seeing how the edges and the skills work, that's when, that, that also will help out. Like, oh, fuck. Okay, I understand. There was an edge. No, I agree with you. But it's all right. I mean you did fine. You know, you did fine. They made it through it. Um, yeah, but analysis, analysis paralysis is real for a game like Savage Worlds. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm kind of agreeing with you because even as we're doing the character generation and like it did take a while because it took like, you know, with five people completely brand new to the system, ask, answering questions. Like some people cut on a little bit more and they were helping out other people, which I much appreciated. That's awesome. Uh, uh, but the, that was one thing I was kind of thinking. I was like, I wonder if it would have been easier if I did pre-gen characters just for the intro thing so that they could kind of get the game. But at the same time, it seems like everyone who has created a character really likes their character already. Cool. Good. So, and uh, it, one thing that's going to be fun is I know three of the characters took uh, the hindrance curious. Oh, fuck. So, uh, that's a GM's best friend. <laughs> It really it is. is. It is a GM's best friend, especially <laughs> in a horror. Uh, and and here's, the, here's the thing, though. Don't forget when they play that hindrance, when they do something they know they shouldn't, but they do it anyway, give them a freaking Benny. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And and also, you can bait them. I, I So this is my style. When I know someone has curious or some other hindrance like that, I will 
put something up, so like a creaky noise or something weird they may have seen out of the corner of their eye. And if they seem like they don't want to do it or they might be forgetting, you don't need to say like, hey, you got a hindrance that says you should do this. I'm the kind of person who's like, I got a nice shiny Benny if you go check that out. I'm going to have to use that. That's actually a really good idea. But fortunately, it seems like like the, the Big Mouth character is playing as Mink. Big Mouth, uh, nice. um, the character who put picked Mean has already tried to pick fights uh, oh. with, with another player. And the fun thing is, is the other player actually was like, uh, they, they. I was just like, oh, how do you, how do you want to react? And he's like, I want to roll this out. I was like, oh, right. Shit. So they're 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 literally trying to roll off of each other, and it seems like they're already uh, trying to play off of each other's characters already. And I'm like, that's I good. Think, I think I got really lucky with these players here because they all seem super willing to try and super willing to learn and super willing to just give themselves into the game. And I, and I could still tell there were some reservations around the thing where some people weren't weren't sure they didn't want to sip on other people's toes. But overall, like I think I got super lucky with uh, my first table to GM. Now you you, yeah, you may want to be careful though because some people do not like PvP. Yeah. And so you may want oh, that, that may be a conversation you want to have is like, are we going to allow this uh, when it when it becomes relevant? If these two are cool with it, then that's cool. You may want to have a rule that there's no killing other players. Yeah, uh, no the, person, the person was um, the person was trying to trip the other person who oh, was yeah. trying to run ahead of the group and kill <laughs> whoever he thought because. The other person's like didn't even see what that what that guy saw, so he's like, ah, I gotta go. And <laughs> after like tried to trip, he jumped over, ran upstairs, and her character ran up to like ran to the bottom of the stairs and started yelling upstairs like, where are you going? And he he just yells back down to kill something, and then he runs, <laughs> no, he runs, and then like there's a moment where it's like the door slam, like he he goes and checks the things. And then the door slams. I was like, I'm going to hold you, hold you right there. And then I went to another scene. Cause like, I, I always try to leave characters at like this little bit of a cliffhanger. So they're just like waiting to get back to their thing, but it's not like at inopportune times. Yeah. And so like some of the characters were just like, Oh shit. And I'm like, okay, so what are you doing? And then they kind of say, and I'm like, okay, well I get what they're doing. I was like, okay, this is going to take a little bit longer than this. And it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll finish up the immediate actions and, then I'll, um, I'll, you know, get to the person who says like their task, like, you know, going through a book will take a little bit longer. And I'll say, you start going through this book and you get through all this part. Um, but while that's, while you're currently reading, this is happening. And then I jump to the other thing, but I try and keep it there. You go cohesive. So everyone kind of feels mm -hmm. I'm not leaving one person out for a long period of time. Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to make sure everyone's getting a bit of spotlight before they and they always seem to connect together at the end and good yeah it was yeah good. man a lot of fun though that's outstanding um god they didn't sound as rules so no I, I don't think that I, and yeah i don't think the pvp was too bad because no, it's a I natural agree. response exactly, like i'm gonna try to grapple the shit out of you <laughs> yeah before yeah. you do something crazy so i have a question since they don't they're not role players and this is maybe a broader part of the pop culture but yeah. they said don't split the party how do they know not to do that to not split the party yeah um, because it's a very gamer trope thing. Yeah, it, it's a very gamer trope, but I think that's one of those ones that doesn't just stick to tabletop. I think that's also 
Like you've, you'll hear that in TV shows. You'll hear that in video, like even in video games, people like, you know, don't split up, don't do this. So I think really sure. don't split the party. I, I don't think that's really just solely in the tabletop world. I think that's almost, I, th- I think that's just pop culture at this moment. You, you know, I would almost make it a setting rule though, for like ETU <laughs> that you must <laughs> split the party because Scooby-Doo, they never stuck together. Yeah, no, no, they got shit done. And the fun thing is, is they would say, don't split the party. And then a moment later, another player would run off on his own or he would go <laughs> do this on their own while the other people are doing that. So I was like, they're not even following this rule. And that's great. I love it. It's I a good worried. hindrance. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I love the fact that they even quoted that rule, but then they just totally ignored it except for, a couple times where there one person's like, Oh no, he shouldn't go off on his own. So only <laughs> one of them would go off while the other people are like, no, but I want to figure out this shit. <laughs> Holy shit. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, but you're right. It needs to be a hindrance in ETU that like all characters must possess. And it's called, you know, go my own way. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's worded like whenever pot, whenever possible, there's more than two, there's more than two people present in an investigative scene. <laughs> you, you must depart. <laughs> Even in uh, Monster a Week, though, the one class that just plays as like the basic normal character that's not special in any possible way. His main way of gaining XP, which is his base way, is he goes off by his by himself. Nice. Yeah. You, want see, you want to see some normal ass characters? You definitely want to play some ETU. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm going to try and convince. Uh, I think after Ghost Hunt, I might try and do something else. One. Yeah, man. They're like, you, oh, they're like I can't wait to play this for a long time. I was like, yeah, we'll play this until you guys die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get tired of it. Yeah, and ETU is one of those good ones because you get break people's hearts with that one and be like, how the fuck does your character have a shooting and or a fighting of D8? Explain yourself. You're a college kid. Uh-huh. Fuck out of here. You know, and they're like, well, you know, I'm in the ROTC program. Okay. Okay. We can cover one of those. Which one? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. 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 That's funny. It's good times. That's good, man. It sounds like you're really doing well. Yeah, yeah, and I'm already excited for the next part of the campaign once this one's done. Um, I got some really cool ideas, and I'm planning to because this one's a little bit more isolated. There's not as many people, you know, like NPCs or anything like that. And the next yeah. one, I'm planning for them. I'll do that off air because I don't want to say shit. <laughs> for, for the next part, you has anybody written modules? Yeah, exactly. Right. None of them are pre-written modules. Um, no, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to answer a question that you asked way back, though, and that's where yeah. you get started. You get started just by reading the different synopses and figure, oh, yeah. this one sounds cool, yeah. and then you read the module and you figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work for your group, and you modify yeah. it. That's how you get so started. Is that, what, is that what we learned today? No, it's not what we learned today. I are is anyone using an accent? Are they trying to? Are you guys playing in like? England with the Rippers? Uh, we're playing in England, but I told them ahead of time that I might do different voices for certain people, but if you wanted me to do my, Eng- my an English accent, it might come out Australian, Russian, or go. any of the sorts. There you go. So, um, Doesn't matter. It's- they're okay with me not using one. <laughs> they, yeah. they just want you to use Gollum. Yeah. There you go. It becomes a pain in the ass at some point, and you're like, do we meet this character already? And be like, no, this is the only literal tone that I carry in this accent. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem. Like, I have no problem putting in the feminine twist into my voice. I have no yeah, problem good. with that kind of stuff. I just, uh, I can't do a British accent to save my life. 
So just watch like uh, an hour's worth of Monty Python before you play. There you go. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Watch some Cockney rhyme scheme videos <laughs> on YouTube. I have watched a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> So, Finder, what did we learn today? That everybody should try a pre-written uh, module and that you just need to get over yourself and do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, on that note, folks, uh, I think that's all the time we have for today. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, if you like this episode, send me an email at rpsmartpeople at gmail.com. And if you hated this episode, you know, send me a tweet on Twitter at rpsmartpeople. Because um, we need yeah. hate on Twitter. We need more hate on Twitter. I'm not getting no, any, and I'm kind of disappointed in it. No, Twitter's not an awful place. It's just filled with some of the people that they're awful. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like TikTok gets a bad rap, and I love TikTok. I don't ever see any of the nonsense bullshit that pisses everyone off, no matter who they are. I'm like, all the shit I watch is hilarious. I don't know what you people are. You are going out of your way to be angry on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I've met some fantastic people. Like, yeah, this is crazy. Yep, but anyways, uh, thanks for joining again today, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.